Jeannie Patel Thompson, international best-selling author, health product formulator, horse listener, earth singer, mother, medicine woman, elephant acolyte, and regenerative farmer. This is the Jeannie Podcast. Okay, today's show is actually an interview that was done with me for the Interspecies Evolution podcast, and Ginny Jablonski was interviewing me. So I've decided to share that conversation with you guys here, and I've left the intro and everything to her podcast intact because I want you to know where to go to find her and look up more awesome episodes that she has on her podcast. So let's get started. Welcome to Interspecies Evolution. The purpose of this podcast is to highlight human consciousness and how our self-awareness can lead to our honoring animals as conscious beings as well. We have gathered more than three dozen people with unique experiences and education, inviting them to share their journeys and how their relationships with animals have changed along the way. If you are seeking inspiration on your own journey of awakening, or simply want to improve your relationships with animals, we invite you to join us, because it is time for interspecies evolution. Here's your host, Jenny Jablonski. Today my guest is Jeannie Patel-Thompson. She is the author of 17 books on natural health, Her journey with animals and wildlife follows the same holistic path with respect and gratitude for every sentient being on this planet. Jeannie's YouTube channel featuring her spiritual journey with her herd of 11 wild and semi-feral horses has millions of views worldwide. People are hungry for the deeper wisdom and connection shown through Jeannie's experiences with her untamed horses. She also has a new blog and YouTube channel where she is charting her conversations with the entire ecosystem as she helps to heal and partner with a 160-acre ranch in British Columbia, Canada. Born in Nairobi, Jeannie has also lived in Boston, Edmonton, Tokyo, London, England, Singapore, and Vancouver. She is married with three children. Welcome, Jeannie, to the podcast. Thank you, Jeannie. So excited for this conversation. Me too. We actually intended to do the interview a couple of weeks ago when we got shanghaied by your horses. (laughs) They had some things to say. (laughs) But here we are today, and I'm just thrilled. I was guided to connect with you, and it's been one of the most exciting experiences of my life, getting to know you and your herd. And I would very much like for you to shine today and for you to be able to share your life's journey. How did you get to this place of communicating with the earth, with nature, with the insects, with the animals, with the trees, and being the caretaker of, of the ranch where you are. I know uh, you, I, many people that we know, we have rather circuitous journeys that have gotten us to where we are. So please take the time to share your own journey. Oh my gosh, Jeannie, you've asked me for about six hours of, of content there. I want to focus on. 
Um, well, let's start with the ranch. Um, I had been actively looking for this property for seven years. And, uh, but I knew that I wasn't just, I wasn't just looking for the items on my list that I had logically ascertained I needed in a piece of land. I was looking for the herd's land. So I was looking for an energetic um, portal vortex spot as much as the physical parameters of wanting, you know, water on the property and certain exposures and blah, blah, blah. So I kept, oh my gosh, it was the most frustrating, um, blocked at every turn, just an insanely impossible journey. And of course, the, those types of journeys, they only make sense in hindsight. When you look back and then you understand, oh, I understand why it couldn't happen then. And I understand why this had to happen first. And one of the things that surprised me the most was the piece of property that we were on, which again came to me, the herd brought the land. I was shopping in HomeSense and this friend of my neighbor walked up to me and said, do you know of anyone who would like to board horses at my place? Now she was renting 30 acres in the middle of the city. It was owned by a guy in Beijing who was just sitting on it until he got townhome development approval. So this abandoned piece of land that was going to all be bulldozed and turned into condos and townhomes. But meanwhile, it was this little oasis. And I was like, why don't you advertise? She says, no, because people just drop their horses off. They pay for a couple months rent and then they disappear and you're left with their horses. And she had this whole story about why that wouldn't work. So she only wanted to have people she knew. Anyway, I eventually referred a friend of mine, but then I ended up having to go there because the property that I was on, that I had a quote guaranteed lease for, the owner's they used to sit out on their lawn, Ginny, on, on their lawn chairs. And I'd look up and they'd just be watching me like I was their TV for the afternoon. <laughs> and they had never had horses before. They had never been interested in horses, which is why they were renting the land to me. And they had said, oh, if you ever leave, we'll just get a cow on there, a couple of cows on there to keep the grass down. Well, they were so taken by what they saw happening and of course, the, I was, I'm five acres away from them, three acres away. They can't hear me, but what they can see and perceive. And he was a doctor and she's, um, you know, involved in a lot of political things. These weren't like woo-woo people to start with. These were very logical, you know, type of people, but they could see that things were happening energetically between me and the horses. And they would literally sit there with a drink and watch me, which then got them interested. So last minute there's a, a while um um a slaughter auction going on you know where if no one takes these horses they're going to be killed and they buy a horse just boom like in 24 hours she's going to be delivered and I was like I don't know how that's going to go because if my herd doesn't accept this horse we're in trouble well of course my herd did not accept this horse my herd's a very tight herd and very purpose-driven um, so then I was the one who had to leave because it's their land. So anyway, so I eventually ended up on this 30 acres in the middle of the city. And what I had no idea was that I had to work with that land. And it was super important for whatever reason within the matrix of this universe, 
that the ancestors on those land, that land were um, listened to and had their issues resolved, that the land itself was allowed to teach us, that the cedar cathedral that was on the land was entered into relationship with, like there were all these things that had to happen on that piece of land. And there, again, it was a vortex spot. There's crystal throughout, quartz crystal throughout that piece of land. And that took, first, it took a long time for me to even agree to connect with the land. And a friend of mine said, I feel the land is waiting for you to connect. I'm like, I'm not connecting. It's going to be bulldozed and turned into townhomes and condos. Like all those trees are going to be cut down. I can't connect. Well, eventually, of course, I did. And then that's when I realized And one of the things that the cedars told me when I was mourning, I said, you know, you're all going to be slaughtered. And they said, ah, but in the fourth, fifth and sixth dimension, we're still here. And you have the ability to travel between those dimensions. And I went, what? <laughs> so that land opened up a whole other realm of possibilities for me. And then I started working with the, the land devas, the elementals that were on the land, which before I'd be like, no, no, I already talked to enough creatures and beings I don't need to talk to anybody else I'm leaving the elves and the fairies and the trolls for other people I'm not touching that because y'all are crazy and you're mischievous and I don't want to go there and I talked to enough I talked to enough beings and then they, of course that was like well you can't who takes care of the land it's those little those little devas and spirits and you can't not connect with them if you want to know what to do with the land where should I dig my manure pit where should I put in drainage? How should I, you know, those are all decisions that have to be made together with all of the beings that are involved with the land. So I realized that also in retrospect, I had to have a crash course on all of these before I'm set loose on 160 acres of pristine wilderness. <laughs> I think of myself seven years ago, if I'd come to this property and I would have done this and I would have done that and, I would, and then I would have made so many mistakes and I would have created so much stuff that both the land and I had to heal a later date. So again, it was like I needed to have um, basically uh, an education, uh, a course, a certification before I'm allowed on the big piece of land. And then all the things that that land required and all the teachings and the horses, you know, they taught us how to sing to the land. And we didn't, my black horse, Kalia, she said, we just arrived there. My friend, Juliet, um, and I, who's a naturopathic doctor, but also works mostly as an intuitive healer. She had arrived that day and Kalia said to us, go sing to the land. And we were like, ah, oh, we have no idea what that means. And we don't know what you want. But okay, you know, that's the way things work with this herd. They'll just tell you to do something and you have to just say, okay, willing to look like a complete idiot here, willing to fumble my way along until, because the horses are like the universe. They don't give you the instructions in advance. They just tell you right there in the moment, go and do that. And so you go and you start and you start walking the pathway and you start action. And then they give you the next piece of information and then the next piece of information. And so we found our way to this, type of singing that ended up being um, more toning, I would say. But it was interesting because she didn't say, if she'd said, go tone with the land, I would have known I've been doing toning in yoga for two decades. I don't know what toning is. She didn't say that. She said, go sing to the land. 
because for us, I think we had to explore this whole range and we had to go in there open-hearted and open-minded without an agenda that toning would have then brought down this legacy through the yogic tradition that I then implemented. So the toning that we do with the land is not the same toning that I do in yoga. It's a completely different thing, but it's, and it is, it's more singing. It's more directly responsive to what the land and whatever's happening on the land needs. So we had um, a massacre that had taken place on that property and the ancestors needed to be uh, healed. We had to work with their shame and then we had to release them from the land. Um, so there were many important things before I was able to be on this property now and able to steward this property the way it needs to be. And of course, this property is a whole next level learning curve for me as well in, in much greater, um, I guess, intimacy and, and just receiving those instructions from the land, not just from the horses, because what's interesting about this land is a lot of times the horses aren't involved. Like I'll just wake up and I'll feel the land calling me to a certain area. And I know I've got to go walk that, you know, that day or as soon as I can, because the land is not only wanting to, sh to show me something or give me a message. It's not even that directive or clinical. Sometimes it's like this part of the land has to meet and explore and enmesh with you. This like whatever if we look at things on a vibrational level, whatever frequencies exist on that section of the land have to wind around and meld and know your frequencies. It's time. Go and commune, go and merge with that peace or whatever's on that section of the land or you know what I mean. So um, I think that's why the journey took so long and also land in BC, Canada is, um, it may be the most expensive place in the world to purchase land, um, far more expensive than New York, all the places we think of traditionally, uh, far more expensive than London, than England. Like it's, it's off the charts because we've had so much foreign investment from Asia as this is a safe place to put your money. So it has driven for the last 30 years, property prices right through the roof. So, you know, you're trying to buy land here. It's like, how much money do I need to make? Like a million dollars is not enough. A million dollars won't even get you a postage stamp here. So that was the other thing was having, it took time for me to increase my fluency with money energy to generate enough money to even be able to think about buying land here. And then even so, when I came to um, purchase this property, my husband was like, you're never going to get a mortgage. And I was like, well, maybe not like logically, no, but this is the herd's land. So I'm going to walk this pathway and I'm going to see what happens. And so it was even the, the financial process, because again, money is an energy. Right? It's just another level of working with the vibrational frequencies on this planet. And it's a big one. So for me to move into mastery on that level as well, and, and in, in getting the mortgage for this land and getting the deposit, I mean, it was just, again, another level of masterclass in the energy of money. And it came down to the wire I'd been doing. I'm not kidding you. 
I had to do seven hours a day of paperwork for three weeks to get the mortgage company all the forms that they were requesting because they couldn't understand my business. They're used to farmers, right? This is a farm mortgage because in Canada, you can't get a regular mortgage for a piece of agricultural land. It has to be a farm mortgage. So they were used to farmers. I grow the this one or two crops and I sell it. And, I, and then here's me. It's like, well, I run an international health business. I have eight warehouses on four different continents. They could not read my books. They had to care. They had to bring in a next level attorney. They had to bring in a next level um, certified accountant, which they billed me for extra. And so they it took them weeks and they just kept asking for more information and more information. So after three weeks solid, it was D-Day. And it was like, well, I either get the mortgage or I've lost the deal on this property. It's not going to go through. And I just went out to the horses and I was, um, you know, and this is the thing about mastery. You can't fake it. You're either there or you're not. And so I was in that place of um, my intention was 100% that this was the herd's land and, and we belonged on this land. And my intention was 100% that way. Simultaneously, I was 100% non-attached to the outcome. It, this is now out of my hands. And I went to the herd and I said, well, I've done everything I can. My part, my role is complete. There is not a single piece of paper left untyped. <laughs> I need a miracle. And it's over to you guys. Because if anyone can do a miracle, you can. And I just, I released it. And I, I turned it over to them and in full confidence that I had not left a stone unturned. And two days later, I got the call from the mortgage company. I'd been approved at a rate of interest rate that I could afford. It was, again, it was the miracle. It was the miracle that we'd asked for. So, you know, it's like when you enter into, when you're willing to enter into this multi-dimensional existence where you are aware of and in connection and communication with all the life form frequencies that exist in this dimension you know from you know things that we would think of as purely spiritual to animals to plants to fungi to waterways it's something that then requires you to just keep going to the next level and the next level and the next level. And I don't think that that will ever stop. I mean, unless you're Jesus, maybe you're done. <laughs> well, I hope you don't mind if this conversation just wanders around a little bit. I would like to refer back to something you said just a few moments ago, and that is that your certification, you had to be certified. You had to have a certain experience with land before you moved into a larger piece of property interacting with so many new levels of consciousness obviously and from uh, my perspective your certification was your direct experience of course it makes sense that we um, get educated and that we understand how to operate ethically in the world these things are all part of our human evolution our remembering but can you talk a little bit about that do you feel as if on this larger piece of land, did you have a past life there? Did the horses have past lives there? And were you eventually made aware that this was part of your sole purpose? 
I have not had any information about past lives on this property. Um, but one of the signs when I came to view it that I knew this was the land was my daughter. Um, she kind of went off. There were some cows on the land when we came and she went off to see the cows and she ended up and I was busy with the realtor and the two owners of the property and, you know, talking, 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 nonstop information. So I was not in a place to drop down into any kind of meditative connection, but she was. She went off by herself and she went with the cows. She ended up lying down and she she already slept for four hours in the truck on the way up here. <laughs> she laid down. She said, I had my head on a log and I had a rock under my back. And she said, I went right to sleep, which she never sleeps. Like she can suntan and she doesn't fall asleep. So this was not a sleep. This was like a trance. She said, I went to sleep and the land pulled me under. So she sank down and went inside the earth and the land showed her everything that was there. And she said, you know, there's First Nations on this land that are waiting to work with you, but not just this piece of land, all the land connected to this land, like this entire region. And I said, well, yeah, and, and that's what we were doing on the other piece of land in the city. So that makes a lot of sense, you know, that they would want us to use the skills and, and the things that we'd learned. Um, so she had more that experience of connection. And I know she's not, she just turned 20 yesterday, actually, and she's on her pathway. But I think this land, she's going to be having her, she has always had a dream to have an animal wildlife rescue and rehab sanctuary and then to bring in the First Nations children to work with those animals and through healing the animals, they themselves are healed. And when she told me this vision, I think she was about 14. I, I felt the ding of truth. I was like, oh, you've just called it. Now it may take you 15 years to work your way back to there because you're going to have to go through your processes. Um, but I could see it. And, and that's what this land is. So I almost feel like um, this land is, again, it's a huge piece of land. It's big enough to hold many people's dreams and purposes here. So who is meant to be here? And that's my role. My role is to not give up my authority as, as Montaro, my herd guardian and leader said to me, I'm the herd guardian and leader, leader above him. I remember the day he told me that. I was like, ah, are you sure that's a good idea? <laughs> you know, but he was like, no, no, I, you think I'm at the apex. I'm not at the apex. You are, right? So for me and this past seven years with him has been part of being willing to and also owning that position and growing into that. So this property is the first of at least two, possibly three properties that are a vision that I was given in a shamanic journey about mm, five years ago, where there's a circle connecting horse, elephant, dolphin, and whale. And again, I have no idea why, but it is vital for Gaia herself that these four species link. And they don't just need, just not, oh, I just need to meditate and hold a space for them to link. No, no, they have to physically link. And the physical linking is done through the pieces of land and through the humans on the land, because we are those points that connect to the grid network of light 
right? And so anybody who is connected into this grid, I, I don't really understand the role. Like, Ginny, you're on land already. Well, you're, what if your land is one of those portal points, those really power spot vortexes that is feeding and connecting into this grid of light, right? And so as other people are brought in, the, the lights get brighter, the network lights up more, it lights up stronger, it lights up bigger. And this circle of these species connecting is somehow crucial for my sense is that, you know, you know, every 60,000 years, the poles flip and that, that causes a lot of damage for us humans on earth. Um, also the amount of trauma and um, toxicity that guy is under right now, like all she has to do is kind of like shrug her shoulders and like BC will move down to where California is and large sections will go into the ocean. Like maybe this circle of elephant, dolphin, horse, and whale is needed to stabilize and buy humans another hundred years to fix what we've done. Something like that. I, I don't have anything that I can say with clarity, but that's where my feeling is, is that it's all going in those directions. So this land is the first piece. And um, in a, a month or so, I'm gonna be going and looking for another piece um, down in Central America is where I'm guided right now uh, for the dolphins and the whales. So, and possibly elephants, I don't know, or if the elephants need to be on a separate piece. Like this is that very, that process where I'm just given one piece of information at a time. Okay, now go action that. And then when you're there, you'll get the next piece. And when you get that piece, you get the next piece. And it's like following this little breadcrumb trail. As you know, this is often how spirit works, how um, things in other dimensions are, we, we don't get it all at once. We get just what we need right at that moment. Next step, here it is. So, um, and then how is how are the other people going to be playing into that? Like what what does this land want to have on it, right? In term, I mean, this land is south-facing. It is has water everywhere. You could grow anything. You could raise any kind of animal. But what does the land want? What does the herd want? What's their idea of the kind of work they want to do here? And who do they want to do it with? You know, these are all super important questions on the energetic level it's not just about oh what okay i need to get farm status so i can greatly lower my taxes so i need to no it's not about that it's about what does the land want and what does the herd want and so for me to create the financial space for that i have to keep generating the money energy i have to keep being at full power in that arena as well because technically i can't afford this ranch as my husband reminds me on a daily basis <laughs> So, you know, it's like there's all these elements of supposed difficulty and supposed challenge and supposed impossibility. But, you know, those of us who work in these realms, we're being called to not stay at that third dimensional level. We're being called to go into our multidimensional selves to see everything as energy and to dance and play at that level and and let this let this physical logical rational stuff go go yeah i see you it's okay you can be there and i'm working up here and and seeing what happens so i have a lot more questions than answers about this land at this point um i had a rocky start with the caretaker that i had here um again 
big learning curve and brought me into connection with some of an element in my shadow that I wasn't aware was there. So that was an opportunity for healing for me, but that caused quite a bit of setback on the land. So um, they left in end of August. So I've only been here um, September, October, November, December, four months full-time. So very little amount of time so far. And I think that's why I still have, but I've only been here four months. So I was like, okay, I'll be here a year. And no, I'm already getting told. I'm already getting guided. Go find the next property. I'm like, I haven't even had a year on this property. And it's like, there's no time. So it's like, you know, again, we're back to the logical and rational. My husband, like spend a year, get the ranch settled. And everyone's, my family is harping at me. And I'm like, I have to follow my guidance. My guidance has never been rational and logical. It's always been batshit crazy. And you know what? It's always been correct. Everything I've done in hindsight, that's absolutely, who gets 11 horses living in the middle of the most expensive city in the world? I mean, I can't even, if I told you what my monthly bills were, you know, you, you could have heart failure. It was insanity. And my poor husband, like I was spending half of his money on horses that he didn't even want. And he's scared of like the whole thing. is just, it's off the charts, ridiculous. And yet I was so strongly guided. And since, you know, my earliest memory as a child, I have always trusted that guidance and it has never once steered me wrong. So I have to keep moving. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the ways that you do earn money. Can we um, reflect back into the past just a bit? And maybe you can share about some of your books and the services that you offer. And then eventually we can talk about Listen to the Horse. Um, my main income comes from the health arena. So I had, when I was 16, I was diagnosed with uh, widespread Crohn's, which is supposedly incurable and did everything the doctors told me for three years. Cause I had never even heard of alternative my healthcare, my entire family are doctors and pharmacists. Um, I'd never heard of herbal medicine or anything. Uh, and so I did, I had the best doctor in the country. I did what he said, got worse and worse every single day. Uh, he, his prognosis for me was you will never um, be able to hold a job. You'll never be able to have kids. You'll be in and out of the hospital the rest of your life. It's unlikely you'll even finish university. I was in my first year of university at that time. Um, he said, but you know, the good news is you'll qualify for disability insurance. So you don't need to worry about money. You'll be okay. And I was like, I'm going to heal myself. Or I'm going to die trying. But that person you just described, that is not me. That is not my life. So, and I'd never been afraid of death. I had a very vibrant spiritual connection from a very young age. And I was one of those people who was more like, don't go home yet, Jeannie, stay on earth. <laughs> because I knew that, you know, the spirit world was beautiful and blissful and magical. And it was more the opposite of me trying to anchor and stay here. So I had no fear of death. I knew that that was like awesome. Um, so I was in a very unique position to try to find out how to heal this, um, these diseases with no holdbacks. And I did, I nearly died twice during that. And when I say nearly, I mean, I bled out to hemoglobin of three out of 14. 
Um, I had a near death experience at that point because I actually did die, but came back quickly. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was this whole journey. And it was interesting because after four years, so I'd been a year out of the medical treatment protocols and I still had no idea what I was doing and I had nothing that worked. And I would had gone to a healing rally because I had mostly left the Christian church at that point. I grew up in the Alliance and Baptist Christian tradition, and I had mostly left um, simply because I no longer believed that Jesus was the only pathway to God. I, I felt and I had experienced that there were multiple pathways to God and Jesus was just one of them. And I couldn't align with the church's belief that this is the only way. Um, so I was mostly out of the church, but I would still go to things from time to time. So I'm at this healing rally with this preacher from Africa and people are getting up out of wheelchairs and God says to me, go forward today and healing is yours. And I stood there with the, the music playing and, and I said to God, and I said, what would be the point of that? What have I suffered four years for to just say to, what do I say to all the people who are suffering with this, these diseases? Oh, it's easy. Just go find yourself a miracle. And I said, no, and I did not go forward. And I did not, it was like, it was like, this was my karmic contract. And I was given the out. This is the fork in the roads. You didn't know it was going to be this hard. This is your opportunity to go in a different direction. Do you want it? And I said, no. And so I had no idea it was going to be six more years of hell. If I had, I might have taken the out. <laughs> of course, we don't know that. So it was very karmic for me to be able to offer that healing as a service to humanity, which is what I thought it was. So I had a telecommunications business by the, at that time, by the time I healed myself. And people had been asking me to write a book. And, and so I did. And I threw it out there on the internet and I just, and I did no promotion. I did no, I mean, blogs didn't exist back then. YouTube didn't exist back then. And I just threw it out, um, you know, via bulletin board service, which is all we had and said, well, that's my service to humanity. That's done back to my business. Well, the book took off through word of mouth and just kept growing and growing. And then the next thing that happened was that people worldwide who are having to order these very specific supplements were saying, oh my gosh, I'm having to order from 10 different suppliers, pay 10 different shipping charges to like Singapore, for example, the shipping charges alone are killing me. Like, is there any way that you could set up a health shop so I can get everything in one place and just pay one $250 shipping charge as opposed to 10, right? And I was like, ah. Oh. I really don't want to do that. Like that's not anything of who I am. So I went to my husband who ran, um, he had a marketing and advertising agency at the time. And I said, listen, this is what everyone's asking for. If I set it up, would you run it? I said, because even if, if we just break even and these, because I knew what it was like to be that ill where you can't even get up off the couch and I understood what those people were having to go through, making all those orders from all those different manufacturers and suppliers. It was, it would be like a part-time job. It was a lot of work. I understood that. So I said to him, even like, just, just, I don't mind setting it up. I'm, I'm, I'm a creative soul. So I'm all good for the setup, but I don't want to run things. I don't want the daily chores. That's not how I roll. 
So I said, I set up, will you run it? And he goes, yeah, sure. Shouldn't take me that long. So I set up this health store and he, well, of course it takes off. Everyone across the United States ends up ordering from our store, which we had no, we thought it was just for people overseas who couldn't get it at their local health store. No, people wanted to go online, get exactly what they wanted, have it on. We were able to get it to them within three days because we, we learned very quickly, do not deal with the post office. They lose so many packages, do courier only. Um, so they could, and versus their health store where maybe the health store was out of stock or they had to order it in, but it was three weeks till the rep from that company. These were all things we had no idea. We just set it up because people in pain were asking and we thought, well, if we just break even, that'll be good. No. So the health store took off and just kept growing and growing. So then my husband decides, you know what? I like this business better than advertising and marketing because this business, you get emails every day from people who you've saved their child's life. Their child, my child graduated college because of you. My husband is out of the hospital when the doctors told us to get his will organized. Like you don't get a higher job satisfaction than that. So he was like, I'm, I'm going to quit marketing and advertising. I'm going to come over here and just do the health store full time simultaneously, I had developed some products that I used in my healing journey. And I would tell people how to make them. People were saying, Oh, my gosh, this is so could you just make the product? And I buy it from you. And again, I was like, nah, I don't want to be in health product manufacturing. That's not how I roll. And but my husband was like, yeah, we should do this. We shouldn't start this was this one product in particular, this elemental diet shake. And this is for when people are an extreme disease state, whether it's from inflammatory bowel disease or cancer or end-stage AIDS, anything where you can no longer eat normal food because you can't, your body can't digest it and absorb nutrients. So this is like breast milk. It's like basically what you'd give a baby where everything is pre-digested. It's in your bloodstream in 20 minutes. And so I had given this formula in one of my books called the IBD remission diet. And I was like, here's how you do it. You order all this stuff and you mix it together. And people were like, could you just sell it to me in a tub already done? So then we started, um, we, we went into the health product manufacturing business and then that has grown. And um, I, I don't even know how many formulations I have now, maybe maybe 12, 14 um, products that, and, and they're all the products that I use myself and for my family, because again, like in health product manufacturing, people are not, people are manufacturing for profit or they're manufacturing for a combination of purpose and profit. They're not manufacturing for them to ingest that every day for the next five years, right? Or like an elemental diet, you're drinking five to seven shakes a day, every day for six weeks. Like that thing has to have a certain taste profile. It has to be hundred percent natural. It has to. So I, when I formulate, I come from that place. I use all the products myself. I give them to my kids. You know, that's why my kids, no one's been to a doctor in over a decade. We don't need modern medicine because we're, we're getting at everything at the root, you know? And yeah, sure. If you lived on this 160 acre ranch, and you composted your all your poop and fed your soil and your soil was rich with billions of microbes and you grew your own food and that's all you ate, no, you would not need a supplement. But most people are not in that position. Most people are not ingesting that quality of nutrition, so they need the extras. So that's 
that's where the money comes from to then fund all of the stuff with the horses. And I have some horse um, workshops and stuff that they've asked me to do, but those make very little money compared to, I mean, they don't make the millions of dollars needed to buy the land and pay for all the expenses. And, you know, so it's been this, again, something that I couldn't have predicted. Um, I never wanted to go into health business. And as a business person, I started my first business at age nine. I had a country candy store. We were way out in the boonies. The nearest store was half an hour by car. So I was like, hey, my brother and I set up, we built a little shack at the end of our, our acreage and we knew what kids wanted. And my, my uncle owned a pharmacy. So we bought, of course, he has to make his profit. He didn't give it to us for wholesale. He gave it to a wholesale plus 20%. Fine. And so, but we still made enough profit that we had to hire our neighbor. We had kids biking in from all over the neighborhood to buy candy. So that was, I am a lifelong entrepreneur. That's how I roll my Indian heritage from the Patel side of my family. Like that's what we do. We, my dad's ethos is why the hell would you work your ass off to put money in someone else's pocket when you can put it in your own, you know? So this is my my genetic heritage even coming into this. So I would never have chosen a business based on people who were too ill to even work. Like what business model is that? That's like the, that's the ridiculous business model. But yet there's this tremendous suffering and there's this tremendous need. And as anyone knows who has been in that place, this is life or death. You have to heal yourself or you have no life. And, you know, for these diseases at the time with that I was diagnosed, there was a 20% death rate. So it wasn't, you know, a distant possibility. It was very real. So that's where, that's where that all comes to. And I continue to be very active in that. And of course, people beyond the inflammatory bowel disease have heard about my products. So now we get people purchasing with all kinds of illnesses and conditions. And, you know, as the soil gets worse and pharmaceuticals okay, keep wrecking more people's bodies. <laughs> um, more people need the stuff that I have out there and the healing protocols and the products that I have available. So um, unfortunately, there seems to be a never ending stream of people in need. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of the holistic mix of how everything comes together to fund this work of the land and the herd and the the animals and everything else we're dealing with here. So bridge the gap for me. How did you shift? Uh, what was the evolution of your journey from the health product business <clears throat> into communicating with animals? What What did that look like? Well, the communicating with animals came first. So I, um, I, so where to start? First of all, I don't believe there's any difference between um, any kind of energetic telepathic communication, whether that's with the divine, your angels, trees, insects, fungi, horses, elephants, um, elves, fairies, it's, it's, they all exist at that place of communication. We're the ones who are outside 
the 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 communication freeway. We're the ones who are sitting over here in the corner using spoken and written word only. Everybody else is already communicating in in this, you know, whatever word you want to call it. Telepathy seems to be um maybe a tele telepathic, energetic, meditative, whatever word you want to call this method of communication. So for me, I always had um well, my earliest memory of having that communication line with the divine would be at around age seven, because I had, so my mom, my, my father's Hindu, my mother was Buddhist, we moved to Canada, and our next door neighbors were evangelical Christian. So they started inviting my mom to church. And my mom was like, wow, totally, this is what I was looking for. So she became a Christian. And then she would go every Sunday with the neighbors. So then I was like, mom, I want to go to church. So I go to church. I'm seven. I hear the message of salvation, Jesus into your heart. And I'm like, that's for me. Sign me up. And so I then become active. Now my mom has this hotline into Jesus that, you know, so I'd be like, mom, ask Jesus if I should sleep over. Mom, ask Jesus if blah, blah. So she did this for me for a while. And then she said, Jeannie. She's British. Jeannie, you've got to develop your own method. You've got to learn how to speak to Jesus yourself. And I was like, okay. So with the simplicity of a child, every day I'd be like, Jesus, I need you to talk to me. Jesus, please talk to me. And that was just my request. And for me, it felt like I asked that every day for a year. I don't know actually what it was, but all of a sudden it's like, it happened. And I would ask, should I sleep over at Shauna's house? And I would get a picture, an image of myself sleeping over. And I would either be happy in that image or I would be not happy and wishing I hadn't come. And that was the way that God started talking to me was through giving me an image of the outcome that answered my question. And then that evolved into what I call a voice, but it's not a voice in my head or my ear. It would be a voice maybe down here in my gut or my solar plexus. And it had a completely different, because people are like, how do you know what you're, if it's the voice in your head or if it's something like oh, that, the divine and the animals, they don't, they're not in my head. They're somewhere else in my body. So it's a very distinct voice. It doesn't feel or sound or act like that, that brain thought, that monkey mind, our, um, our own imaginative capability. That's all in the head this voice is at a different place. Um, as a child, it was very much, I think, in my solar plexus. Um, so then by the time I was eight, the church, the Alliance church that I went to recognized me as having the gift of healing. So if someone was ill, uh, and my mom was very careful to make sure this was not blown up or exploited or took over my life, she would, she was very much a gatekeeper for me. So if someone was ill and I was, you know, playing, making like playing with Barbies or making mud, I like, I used to go out and make mud banquets. It's my thing. <laughs> she would come out and say, oh, so-and-so is not feeling well. He's got this. And if I went, oh yeah. And kept playing, she would walk away. But if I said, if I stopped and I said, well, does he want healing? She would say he would love it. And then we would get in the car and she would drive me to his house. And as an eight-year-old child, it was very simple to me. Again, no one ever told, once I had my connection, my direct line to God, God just told me everything. 
I didn't ask other humans for guidance. I didn't ask anyone to teach me. Why would I? I'm going straight to source. So I would stand behind the person. I would put my hands on their shoulders and I would say to God, okay, what do you want me to pray for? And God would tell me. And so whatever God told me to pray for is what I would then say out loud. And duh, of course it would happen. And it wasn't until, you know, I was an adult and, and working with other healing modalities like pranic healing and energy level healing that I, quite, I thought, wait a minute, why did God not tell me to play, pray for complete healing for every single person? Obviously God is capable of that. But it didn't. Sometimes it was just for um, the person to experience a relief from the pain that they were experiencing, the physical pain to go away, but not for the affliction to be cured. Sometimes it was not even for the pain to go away, but for the person to just exist in a place of peace and joy in spite of the pain, in spite of the affliction. It was different. for And some people it was for complete healing and they were completely healed. And so it wasn't until you know I developed you know, my healing facilitation skills that I realized, ah, because illness is a pathway to growth and development. It's a pathway to the divine that that if you take that away from someone, you have not done them a favor. You have not done them a service. You have cut off their growth and their potential. So this is their opportunity to walk this pathway into this greater connection with these other levels that we're talking about. So, you know, now realize, and it's, it's the same thing with money. So let's circle back to money energy. If I just give you, if you're like, oh, if I just had a hundred thousand dollars, that would change my life. And that would be all. And I'd be like, okay, Janie, here's a hundred grand. That would not help you. And I have actually done this with members of my family and watched them get rid of that money as fast as they could and not use it for what they actually needed it. Like when they say that lottery winners are broke, 95% of lottery winners are broke within five years. This is why, because money is an energy. And if you don't develop your capacity to hold and dance with that energy and it comes to you, you got to get rid of it. You got to give it away. You got to like, it's too much energy for your system to hold and you will get rid of it. And again, it's the pathway to that money, to that abundance is a healing pathway. It's the same as disease. Poverty is the same as healing a disease. It's an incredible gift of a pathway that you have a hard physical 3D marker for how you're doing. You can't talk yourself into, I'm so spiritual and I'm so advanced and I'm so, no, because you're sick and you're broke. Look at your life. Your life is telling you, you are not, you are not leaning in. You are not doing your greater, deeper work. If you were, you would be moving into wholeness across every area of your life. So, and again, that's not a judgment. That's an awareness that allows you to take responsibility and say, okay, where am I lying to myself? Where am I saying that I'm leaning in, but I'm actually not leaning in. I'm like, I'm like the door is closed and I'm running for the hills. Um, so yes. So that, that was in terms of that ability to communicate with animals. That's how I communicated with the divine. So again, so simultaneously what's happening here is my father is, um, physically abusive. So, and it's not, 
he's like an alcoholic. It's like when life gets stressful, he blows up and beats on his kids. So you don't know when it's coming. It's not logical. It's not related to what you, so you're in this hyper aware guarded, you know, like living in a war zone where you don't know when the bomb is going to go off. What I didn't understand at that time, um, because I, and, and my dad would come at me and I'd be like, today is a good day to die. Cause I was like, he might kill me today. And when I saw my past lives, which I wasn't ready to look at until I was 26. And it was my Christian mother who supposedly didn't even believe in reincarnation, who said to me, you got to go find your dad. I was like, I know, I know. It's, I can't ignore this anymore. And I was right. I did not want to see because what had happened between my father and I was lifetime after lifetime of us trading the victim perpetrator role. And whoever was in the role of perfect, like I saw what I did to my dad. I smashed him. I destroyed him. And then the next lifetime, he did the same thing to me. And the lifetimes, we were never related. We were never close. We were strangers, but we would see each other across like the village square and it would be like a laser magnet you and you'd be like oh shit and you would know it was that the magnetism of karma is just unbelievable so this lifetime i we had decided to incarnate in very close proximity to each other because we had to heal it or die like there was no other option like either we were going to heal this or I was going to be dead, obviously, because he was the person with. So that was happening simultaneously. So, but again, it, with hindsight, looking at it within the container of a karmic contract, we came here to do this. We came here to heal this. My father, who was beating me up and terrorizing me, bought me my first horse and built the barn and did all the fencing with me. We did it ourselves. So I'm eight now. I had been asking him, I'd like, I'd ask him in the shower. So he couldn't, he couldn't hit me. He'd be in the shower. I knew he'd never come out to chase me or get me if he was in the shower. So I'd open the door wide enough to, he could hear me. I'd be like, dad, what? Can I have a horse? No. Next morning, dad, can I have a horse? No. This went on for a year. Finally, he says to me, he says, I'll make you a deal. He says, you get a rabbit. I don't know why he chose a rabbit. Like of all the animals. Because he tried to talk me out of a horse. Yeah, there's so much work in this. And I'm not going to help you. Nobody's going to help you. I'm like, I don't care. I need a horse. I want a horse. So he says, get this rabbit. You take care of it for one year. Nobody ever helps you. You're never asked. You're never reminded to do anything. And I'll, you take good care of that rabbit for a year. I'll get you a horse. Well, I did. So I'm eight years old and I got my first horse. And that was the beginning of the deep, connection and communication with animals because you know and I believe that all children still have that ability to communicate with animals you know it depends on what age they are where their parents start telling them they don't and so they take on that dominant reality for their parent and they negate their own experience but I believe that every child has the ability to communicate with animals and babies too like I communicate with all three of my children telepathically I'd be like what do you need and they would send me an image or a thought package or, you know, a sentence or whatever it was. And I would take care of my baby's needs. So I get this horse. Well, she's a guardian angel incarnated as a horse. 
because she had to keep me from killing myself as I worked out this karma with my dad. And she had to be my release valve. So I, I had a saddle and a bridle. Thank God I was, I couldn't lift them. She was 15 hands. I'm like eight years old and like this little shrimp. So I just rode her bareback and I didn't need even the bridle, but I put it on because I was supposed to. And I had my little book, your first horse told me how to put the bridle on. I put, I put to this day, I put a bridle on completely backwards because I taught myself. Um, but that wasn't the point. The point was that she then taught me everything because I had no human teacher. I didn't go to a stable and have lessons. There was nobody around me that knew anything about horses. So, and I would forget to water them and I would get home from school and there then she'd be standing at the water trough banging on it with her hoof and I'd be like oh oh my god I forgot to give you water before I went to school and I so I'd go and I get her like that was the way that I took care of of my horses and I'd be playing with my friends and she'd come up to the fence and she'd just stare at me and I'd be like no I'm playing she'd be like let's go for a ride and I'd be like no I'm playing with my friends let's go now okay fine I see my friends I gotta go Dava needs we gotta go for a ride I'd leave my friends and I'd go with her and so we had this very egalitarian relationship right from the get-go. And she would often dump me and buck me off because don't forget, I'm an abused, beaten child who has dissociated from my physical body. I'm an asshole, right? I am not in that level of connection and communication with her where I'm treating her the way that I should be. So she, that's fine. She just tosses me whenever she needs to, uh, to teach me, stop it, smarten up, get out of your dominance mode, because that's my, that's my MO. That's all I know. Right. So this relationship with, with my foundational horse um, was the beginning of it all. And then, you know, we also had cats and I would pick up stray dogs from time to time and, and help them. And, so everything for me was very organic. It was more that this is, this is, you know, this met this way of, of interconnecting and communicating that is there for all of life. And, and it's just a matter of, of whether we are on the frequency band, you know, it's like tuning a radio. Are you going to tune to the channel or are you just going to stay at this one station your whole life? So that's kind of where all the animal animal communication stuff came from. For me, it was not separate from anything that was happening spiritually or my connection with the divine. Can you share a bit about your Listen to the Horse program? I know you offer courses and you have a, a wonderful YouTube channel. So the horses told me very early on, they said, Filmus. I was like, okay. Like, I don't know, what are we filming? They said, you they said there is a layer of frequency encoded in video that humans are not aware of, but we are going to use it so that we can directly reach anyone who watches these videos. And I was like, all right then. So I would just turn and sometimes I would be out with them, we'd be hanging out, and they'd be like, turn on the camera. So I just turn it on. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what they want to show. I don't know what they want to teach. And then as I'm filming, they would be like, now put the camera on Montaro. So I'd swing the camera to Montaro and then Montaro, something would happen. And so they were directing a lot of what I filmed. And then as I filmed, they would give me messages to speak into, um, you know, so that people could hear. 
And then after the filming, when I was editing, they'd be like, pull that scene from over there, move the order. Like they would be directing me and how to edit these videos. So it was really um, me being willing to be the hands and the voice for the messages that they wanted to share with humanity to help humanity because we're screwed. We're like so far down the wrong track. We need a lot of help. And that's what they're here to do. They're here to help us. So that's what happened with the videos. And then, um, so that's how YouTube, the whole YouTube channel got started. And it's so interesting, you know, Ginny, because during the COVID, um, the worst of the COVID where everybody was getting censored, left, right, and center who had any message outside this narrow spectrum, my videos, which are more disruptive <laughs> and more heretical, were getting recommended by YouTube because YouTube thought they were just horse videos that people seem to really like. And so again, this thing of the horses of, of we're here to do this in a stealth manner this time. Nobody needs to be burned at the stake this time around. We've had enough of that. We're all going stealth. And so and I'm like, yeah, because people look at you and they're there. You're just a bunch of horses, right? So that's how that happened. And then the videos went out. And of course, I would get emails from all over the world of people telling me what happened with them as they watch the videos and then the horses are showing up in their dreams and the horses are showing up in their meditations and the horses are showing up when their mother dies to help her walk across the rainbow bridge. And, and it was just like the horses said, they were like, we just need that connection and then we're, we'll do the rest. So that was how that started. Of course, that's on YouTube and that's all for free. And then they started guiding me to set up a couple of um, workshops to take people into deeper levels. And, and those are the, the paid products. So we have one that's called um, come home to your body because so many of us are dissociated. So many of us have suffered trauma and abuse that's caused us to come out and we're not even fully in our physical body. And a lot of spiritual traditions they venerate and they promote this idea of separation. Oh, your body is just the thing you walk around in. No, no. We're coming from the perspective that the body is the densest part of the soul and the body is the subconscious. And there's this integration that has to take place. And that's what real evolution looks like. Not you want to separate your, your spirit out from your body. Just kill yourself. You're done. It, it's very easy. You don't have to spend 40 years meditating to try and live, bring your spirit outside your body. You know, just learn how to astral travel. You know, that should take you maybe a year, right? So why are we here? Why are we here in 3D in these physical bodies? What is the purpose of this? What is the magic and the giftings that are present in the actual physical tissues and cells in this matrix of this denser vibrating energy? And so... That's the first workshop in the Dig Deep series. And the second workshop is something that the horses, I mean, they, and I, I include myself in this category. They're like, humans suck at boundaries. This is the thing you are the worst at. And it is the foundation of everything that's going wrong on planet Earth. Because when you think about it, a boundary is that demarcation line 
between your authentic self and everything else, right? So whether you're in dealing with the environment for what feels congruent for you and your authentic relationship with your food, with your water, with your, where is your boundary that says, I will not buy that. I will not eat that because that does this to the soil. That does this to animals. That does, where is that boundary between your authentic soul of, of who you want to be and how you want to nourish your physical body? Also, how about in relationships? How about with money? How about with work and career? Where is that demarcation line where you're like, this is my authentic, empowered, unified, whole self. And then this is everything else. And where is that layer of interface? Most of us are not even aware of what I just described. And then even as we become aware, we don't know how to hold that separating boundary. We don't know. And yeah, it can be a permeable membrane where things cross back and forth, but you have to have that ability to hold the authenticity of your unique wholeness for you to then really be who you want to be in this world and have the kind of relationships that you want and have the kind of money that you want and have the experiences that you want, because it all stems from your unique soul, your unique incarnation. So the horses, then the second workshop, Dig Deep number two, is about accessing the fierce feminine to set calm, strong, healthy boundaries. Because in our culture, we think it's the masculine that sets boundaries. No, the masculine sets a boundary that leads to a fight. That's what happens when the masculine's driving the boundary bus. It has to be the feminine, but what is it? It's that fierce feminine. It's the mama bear. It's the mama lion right? There's always a reason the fierce feminine is holding a boundary and it's usually protection of self or land or animals or child or, or weaker person. It's an, a boundary that comes out of honor and integrity. And so that is the strength of, the, and men have that fierce feminine as well. If you're a man, you for sure don't want to be setting a boundary from your masculine because you're going to get into a fight. You have to set that boundary from your fierce feminine who says this must be, and there's no charge and there's no aggression. There's just this dead certainty that it is, this must be, this is all the space I'm holding. This is the only intention I'm holding. And so that's an entire workshop of teachings. And what's amazing is when the herd teaches healthy boundaries, <clears throat> it's a visceral transmission as well, because again, you're watching the videos with them, they're showing you with their physical bodies and their energetic bodies how to do these things that I just talked about. And you are receiving that transmission telepathically and viscerally into your tissues and cells as you watch the videos. So those are the, and there's a third workshop in the series that I've been working on for about four years now. It's still not ready, but it's going to deal with um, the victim archetype and coming out of victim and powerlessness. Um, don't know, again, I'm not in charge of the timelines for when these things are ready, but it's coming. And then the other program that the horses set up, and this was something that took a year for them to, they transmitted this program over the course of a year, and it's basically their apprenticeship program. So you basically do what I'm doing with them. You become an apprentice underneath them. 
and they are your teachers and they transmit these levels of mastery to you over the course. It's going to take people at least a year to work through the program. Most people take them a good 18 months and then they keep going back and revisiting. So the horses told me when we were setting it up, they told me what to charge for it. And I was like, oh, I can't ask that much money. And they said, no, no, the money that we are asking is because money has to be a closed loop. The energy that we are going to be giving out has to come back to us in the form of money, equitable, so the circle closes. So the price for the founding members of that program was $1,111. And I was like, nobody's going to buy that. I was like, okay, but obviously someone's going to buy it. Okay, fine. And the horses said, the ones who are meant to buy it will buy it, who are meant to be part of the creation. Because and this is something I didn't really understand until we got into it. Those people who came in as the founding members were a vital part of the co-creative process that the herd was utilizing to produce the materials. So they called the people who were meant to be there as the founding members. They called there. And one of the women, she was, she had started shamanic studies at 18 and she was now 50 something. She, these are not newbies that they called. They called, and then they called some other people who were maybe not so experienced on the obvious level, but they had a purity of soul of an advanced master in their soul, in their in the level of innocence and purity that they had obtained. And maybe they were masked in this lifetime, but it was something that they had um, achieved and developed from other lifetimes. So this whole process, so the apprenticeship program is, is very intense. It's very, it's, it's real mastery. And I've had people buy it and say, ah, I'm not supposed to be in this program. This program is way too advanced for me. And I'm like, absolutely. So that's why I offer hundred percent money back guarantee. And I, you know, tell people connect with the herd and ask them, am I meant to take this program now? There's many people the herd have said no. There was one woman who they said, the reason they said no to her, they said no, because you have to get your own horses first. Otherwise, you will just intellectualize everything we teach you and you will not actually learn. So for you, you have to have your own horses so that they can work with you at the visceral level and they will help pull these teachings through into your physical body. And the woman was like, okay. And I was like, okay, like you got to do what they say because they know. Um, so those are the offerings, um, from the herd at this time. And, you know, as they give me, oh, third one, I've just about completed one that Montaro, my herd guardian requested because he's been through a very, um, interesting journey of working with male trauma and abuse. And then also working with the, the energies in the land that relate to that. So he asked me to do specifically, a tapping session. So this is, most people have heard by now about EFT. It's an acupressure tapping where you tap on the acupressure points while saying certain things. And there's a process of dialoguing with the subconscious. There's a process that I developed um, where you connect in with the physical tissues and cells of your body. So I have a training program for that called laser tapping that I made, I did for my health people. Cause I'm like, listen, until you get into the emotional, spiritual 
levels of your dis-ease, you can't have long-term healing. You can get off your drugs and you can manage the cycles of your flare-ups using natural methods. But if you want to like not have any memory of ever even being sick, you have to go to the emotional spiritual level. And this tool, laser tapping is the best tool I've ever, because I became a certified EFT instructor. I loved it so much. It works so well. And then I developed that further into, because of my perspective of the body is the densest part of the soul and the body is the subconscious. I kind of, you know, developed a program my own way that I called laser tapping. So Montaro asked me to do a series of laser tapping sessions on healing the wounded, angry masculine. So definitely geared towards men. But there's a lot of women who have a wounded, angry masculine as well. So again, people will self-select for if that's something that they need healing for. And so I, and you know, I'm like Montaro, I'm a female and you're asking me to do this, Matt. And he's like, do the work or I won't heal. I was like, okay. So for each of the sessions that I do, I would just connect with him, connect with the herd, connect with the divine. And I wouldn't have... Uh, sometimes I would understand the topic that I needed to tap on, but I wouldn't understand what the session was going to look like ahead of time. I did that all in that, what we we're talking about, that communication, communication with the divine, with the horses, with the land. That for me, there's no difference. It's all one. It's all having a conversation in that frequency band. And we just have to plug into that and align with that. And then it's all open to us. So that's the other thing that will be coming um, in the next month. Wonderful. Well, I highly recommend the tapping for people who haven't tried um, yet going down a, a spiritual path or doing a lot of energetic healing, because in that way you do speak to your own nervous system and your own body and your body begins the process of uh, learning to trust you again, because you're then invested in the healing process. Sometimes when we jump ahead, for example, if the first thing we do is the coming back to the body program, um, it can be quite an emotional roller coaster, which as you say, it's best to check in with the herd to see if, if it's an appropriate thing for us to try today. You know, next month can be different, next year can, can certainly be different. I love the offerings that you have and your wonderful relationship with your herd. It's so amazing. I highly recommend uh, your books and your products. And in the podcast notes, we will have links to your many websites and programs, Jeannie. I am so grateful for your time today. And uh, I look forward to meeting you next spring uh, in person. And I, I hope to talk to you again soon. Is there anything that you would like to just share in closing, any sort of inspirational message from the herd or yourself before we sign off today? I think the, the main thing is to just start trusting yourself. Start trusting the messages that come to you in dreams. Start trusting the desires of your heart, even though they don't make any sense. And maybe they seem crazy and they will probably seem impossible. Just start creating some space for those inner desires and your own inner guidance to have a voice in your life. 
And you don't need to act on it yet. You don't need to do things yet. Just create the space for your inner self, your inner desires, your connection to source, your connection to all of nature to start coming to the table, set a plate at the table, right? Create a space for that dimension of life to have a voice and open to the possibility that it does and it can, and you can hear it and you can receive it. And just, that's again, just an intention setting. Like I did as a seven-year-old child every day, Jesus, will you please talk to me? Jesus, will you please talk? Like it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to do a big meditation with a big little, no, just every single day, set that intention, open yourself to hear that, that level of reality, open yourself to receive. Namaste. And to you, I see the divine in you as well. I, I would just like to add, I have a girlfriend who 30, 35 years ago, they didn't, she and her husband and three children didn't have a lot of money. Uh, they had one car and her husband was a, a gold miner and he would travel um, hundreds of miles and be gone for months at a time. So she would be left at home with three children under five and no car and had to walk with oh. them to the grocery store if someone didn't help. And she had ex extremely severe back pain. Mm. And one day she decided she had heard about meditation on the radio. And she decided that she was going to meditate and she was going to heal her spine. And to listen to her tell the story, she meditated every day in the afternoon when the children took a nap for over a year. Just over a year, one day as she was lying there, she felt every vertebrae in her spine align. And she didn't experience that severe pain again after that day. And she continued meditating. She's very invested in it because of that miraculous healing. It certainly, as you alluded to earlier in the show, it certainly doesn't happen for everyone. Uh, but when we set our mind to it and we hold those intentions, we will be guided in the right direction. We all obviously have different circumstances and different soul purpose as well. I'm so yes. And, and for her, it could have been that, you know, she would have been guided to the next step that she needed to do and the next step and the next step, and then her spine straightened. But again, I, what I like about that story is showing how long it took. You know, this is not, we're, we're such an insta culture. Want it now, 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 no, no. You have to sometimes ask for a long time. You have to hold that intention for long enough for everything to rearrange and filter through and come down to the layer of density that you currently exist at. And it's, that's okay. It's all good. You just keep holding it, keep asking. Well, Thank interestingly, you. And I hadn't thought about this before, but it was almost 10 years to the day that from my last near-death experience, when I woke up just immediately a panpsychist without even knowing what that meant. <laughs> it was 10 years to the day, and this is praying and intending and endeavoring and listening and traveling every day for 10 years that I was guided to start the podcast. Wow. Oh, that's dedication. <laughs> yes, ma'am. 
and your journey as well. I invite the listeners to return again next week to have another conversation with me, because now is the time for interspecies evolution.